Welcome to Five Books for Catholics, where an expert selects and explains five outstanding books on some aspect of Catholic life, doctrine, or culture. Apologetics consists in defending the faith by explaining the reasons for belief and revelation. It is summed up in St. Peter's exhortation to always be prepared to make a defence to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is in you. 1 Peter 3.15 Recently, several apologists have been stressing the need to engage not just the mind, but also the imagination. This strand of apologetics has been called imaginative apologetics. This is the second part of an interview in which Holly Ordway explains imaginative apologetics and recommends some of the best books in the subject. In part one of this interview, she discussed her top five recommended books. Here she discusses some extra recommended readings. Holly Ordway is the Cardinal Francis George Fellow of Faith and Culture at the Word and Fire Institute and visiting professor of apologetics at Houston Christian University. She holds a PhD in English from the University of Massachusetts, Amherst, and is the author of Tolkien's Modern Reading, Middle Earth Beyond the Middle Ages, Tales of Faith, A Guide to Sharing the Gospel Through Literature, Apologetics and the Christian Imagination, An Integrated Approach to Defending the Faith, and recently she has published Tolkien's Faith, A Spiritual Biography. She is also a subject editor for the Journal of Inkling Studies and a published poet. Before going on to your extended shortlist, um, can you tell us about a bit about the two books that you've published on imaginative apologetics, Tales of Faith and Apologetics and the Christian Imagination? So to give them in reverse order, so Apologetics and the Christian Imagination, um, the earlier book um, that I published, full full length title, Apologetics and the Christian Imagination, an integrated approach to defending the faith. And that integrated in a way sums up my approach because I'm trying to argue for the both and the we need imagination and we need the intellect. I'm not arguing for the imagination instead of, but rather in addition to um, as, as we've already talked about in this in this interview. So this book, um, which arose you know, partly out of my teaching at um, Houston Christian University um, and my apologetics work in general, is basically an introduction to this concept of imaginative apologetics. Why do we need it? Um, how do we do it? And in it, I make the case for what I briefly explained in this interview, um, what I call the meaning gap, this gap between how we understand Christian words and what our audience understands. Um, and so a lot of this of apologetics and Christian imagination is about identifying the meaning gap, really getting it, really seeing it, and then saying, okay, how do we how do we get past that? Because so often people just talk past the very people they're trying to help. Um, and, and it ends up with frustration on both sides. So this is an attempt to show, okay, how how do we start to go about that? So that's apologetics and the Christian imagination. So we might say that that's the theory book and Tales of Faith, which just came out um, this summer, um, full title, Tales of Faith, a guide to sharing the gospel through literature. We might call this the practical application of what I did in apologetics and the Christian imagination. So in Tales of Faith, um, I 
well, I try to do exactly what I've said in the subtitle, to be a guide. So this book goes through um, about four or five works from ancient literature, like the Odyssey, um, Greek myths, and it goes through four or five um, works from medieval literature, uh, like the poem Pearl, um, some of the Anglo-Saxon, the Old English elegies, Beowulf, um, and it goes through the Divine Comedy. And in each of these, I give a short introduction, a quite short introduction, um, assuming that the reader has probably not heard or read of, of these books, um, because many of them are great works, like The Dream of the Rood, the medieval poem, The Dream of the Rood, marvelous poem. How many people have heard of it? Outside English literature, not a whole lot. So you give a short introduction. I actually give an excerpt from the text, or in the case of a poem like The Dream of the Rood, I give the whole text. Um, and then I have discussion questions and resources and even some art activities. So the body of the book then um, is helping people see, okay, how do I actually enter into this? Like, okay, I, because the first couple of chapters in the book, I'm talking about why we should do this, how we should approach reading. Let's say everyone agrees, like, okay, great, we should use literature for evangelization. What do I do? And then I try to say, okay, this is how you would do it. Okay, here, let's talk about Beowulf. Here's a little excerpt. Here's how you could talk about sin, you know, um, Grendel, great image of, of anger, you know, and envy, um, you know, things like that. And the idea behind this book is that it allows people to put into practice the approach of imaginative apologetics in the classroom. Um, for instance, this a lot of this came out of, again, my teaching, including teaching to non-Christian groups. Um, how do you talk about things like virtue and sin with people who are not Christians? Uh, well, you know, using great literature is a really great way to do that, especially if you can use pre-Christian literature, which is why I include some of the ancients in there. How do we talk like you could have a discussion group, you know, if you want to help your fellow Christians to go deeper, why not talk about a piece of literature? Again, non-threatening, inviting allows a space to encounter these ideas of grace and of, you know, of, of the spiritual life without that direct pressure of, well, this applies to you. What are you going to do about it? Well, if we can have a little bit of distance, it actually allows you to engage with it more fully. It's the, it's the paradox of, of literature in a way that by being a little bit more distant, you actually get closer. <laughs> So that's that's what Tales of Faith is. It's the it's the practical guide on sort of how you might go about doing this. And the first book in your extended list is Faith, Hope and Poetry by Malcolm Gite or uh, Gite Geit. 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 Thank you. <laughs> and Geit explores the connection between theology and poetic imagination by looking at English language poets from Shakespeare, Dunn and Herbert up to Seamus Heaney, Derek Machen. And Jeffrey Hill. What can Guide teach us? Going by my own schooling, we were trained to read literature, not scripture or theology. So I suspect that reading literature is one of the few places within uh, secular studies where people are likely to address life's big questions. Well, this this book I had to go on my list someplace because this is actually the book that directly inspired my work in imaginative apologetics. Um, I, I read it when it first came out. And I thought, he's got it right. We need to do this. Um, and it's it's 
the most academic in language of the books that I had on my list, which is why I didn't quite make it in the top five, but it was it was a close contender. Um, so in this, Guy is really going in deeply to specific works of literature and really unpacking how is it that they do convey something of religious truth? How how does that work? Um, and he's coming at it from a literary critical angle. Um, he's a Christian. He's an Anglican um, Anglican clergyman. Um, so he's coming at it saying, how how does the language, how does the imagery, how does this provide a mode for us to see the truth through the lens of these particular authors? Um, and it really is like a masterclass in understanding literature, um, how, how it works, how how it's able to convey these deeper truths. Um, and what it what Geit really does, I think, beautifully is to show that literature, imagery, language does something qualitatively different um, than um, literal language, you know, sort of philosophical abstract language. Um, they're doing different things, and they're both valuable. Um, they're both needed. We need the precision of abstract language, um, absolutely. We we need those things, but we can't just have those things. We need to have the the the, the experience, of the imaginative experience. And so he really explains how that works um, in a, I think, a really amazingly effective way. Next on your extended list is a collection edited by Andrew Davison, Imaginative Apologetics, Theology, Philosophy, and the Catholic Tradition. You especially recommend Michael Ward's chapter on C.S. Lewis. What else makes this volume worth reading? Well, this is a good sort of um, overview. Um, the Catholic tradition here is is broadly Catholic, so there are, there are Anglicans and Catholics um, in this in this volume. Um, and what one of the things that is particularly helpful about this is that it touches on different aspects of it. How does how does imaginative apologetics relate to philosophical apologetics, for instance? Um, what what are its limitations? You know, how does it how does it work? Um, and so there's and there's a number of really excellent um, authors in here who are giving uh, you know different different angles on it. So I think if somebody wants to um, sort of get a picture of well, where where does imaginative apologetics fit in the larger world of apologetics and theology? You know, how how do I situate it? What is its relationship to these other disciplines? I think this volume um, is a really good one. It's it's relatively short, so it's not it's not too intimidating. Um, the essays, uh, like there's a number of essays, it gives you a good kind of overview um, and and different different aspects of it. And I did want to single out uh, Michael Ward's um, essay because that's, it's worth buying the book just for that essay. Um, the Good Serves the Better and Both the Best, C.S. Lewis on Imagination and Reason and Apologetics. And that's where Ward um, unpacks um, a really critical concept in Lewis, which is the relationship of the reason and the imagination. Um, and that concept, and in particular, that essay by Ward has been highly influential on my own development of imaginative apologetics, because I think we've got to understand the way that the imagination and the reason cooperate, how they work together, if imaginative apologetics is going to bear real fruit.
and you close your extended shortlist with a bit of cheating. You recommend three books for the price of one. Father Paul Pearson's <laughs> trilogy, Spiritual Direction from Dante. How can Father Pearson guide us along Dante's imaginative journey through hell, purgatory and heaven? Well, I had to cheat because I couldn't just give the first volume, which is Inferno, because it would leave it would leave us in hell. Um, we, we can't do that. No, no. <laughs> so this is um, so Father Paul Pearson of the Oratory. So this is a, a three volume exploration of Dante's Divine Comedy. Um, and it's I mean, it's in depth each, you know, well, there's three books um, and in each one he voyages through that part of the Divine Comedy again, just like the title says, giving spiritual direction through it. Um, and, you know, it's one of the reasons I was drawn to this is that he's an oratorian. Um, and in my work on J.R.R. Tolkien in the, the book, I've just finished a book on Tolkien called Tolkien's Faith, a spiritual biography. It's coming out next year. Um, and one of the things I really delved into was was the spirituality of the, um, of the Birmingham oratory um, and the oratorians who have had a really a big impact um, on my own spiritual life as a Catholic. And I've come to realize that oratorian spirituality um, is really well suited to imagine apologetics because they have a real emphasis on beauty and the aesthetic sense. So it, in a way, it wasn't surprising to find that it was an oratorian um, who wrote them this, this trilogy of using a great work of literature to do spiritual direction. Um, you know, not just giving abstract spiritual direction, um, but saying, well, let's root it in the exploration of a great work of literature. Um, and so I think, again, this is a, a kind of an example of applied imaginative apologetics, this time not oriented outward to non-believers, but oriented inward to the edification of believers, which I think apologetics is is both. It needs to serve both for evangelization and for discipleship. Um, and those two are related because unless we are well discipled, we can't evangelize properly. So I think there's a, a real, a natural sort of give and take, a, a, a both and with that. So I really liked the way that he's he's doing the work of imaginative apologetics through literature for, for the Christian. Um, and so I think if you're able to voyage through that, you'll start again to see kind of a case study as we saw with, you know, Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe. Um, we saw with, um, you know, poetry. OK, this is this is how we can start to convey these great um, truths of the faith in a way that connects with both the intellect and the imagination. First of all, Ray, thank you very much for taking us through your recommended books on imaginative apologetics. Well, it has been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To read or listen to the rest of this interview and gain full access to our archive, visit fivebooksforcatholics.com and become a premium subscriber. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and give it a top rating on the platform of your choice. That way more people can discover it. You can also support the podcast and help us produce more interviews like this one by making a one-off donation via the link given in the show notes. As little as one dollar, one pound or one Europe can help and will be greatly appreciated. Thank you once again, and God bless.